How is everybody? Good. I learned from that video that Amanda does not use the same translation as the Bible as I do, but that's okay. Uh, hey, I missed you guys last week. I happened to be at our Cannon County Church, which actually hasn't even started yet, but we had 130 there almost last week. Yeah, which is really, really good. And um, that's Josh's problem now. They're already full at that building. <laughs> It was an odd thing, though, right, that, like, the week I, bit, I, I was there happened to be the biggest week that they've had so far. Just, you know, I'm just saying. Um, anyways, uh, but everyone said Dave did a phenomenal job here, so I guess I'm not really needed that much here, so old Dave. Um, if you are in here, I'm not going to make you stand up, because I know a lot of the, the military men and women get a little embarrassed by that sometimes. If you are in here and you are a veteran or active military, or if you are related to someone who Memorial Day is specifically to honor those who've died in combat for our freedoms, but if you are a relative of someone that is a veteran or active military, I just want to give you a round of applause and honor you today. Our nation is not perfect, but it is free, and it is because of the men and women who fought and many who've given their lives, and so uh, it's very, very serious and, and uh, important to remember that. Uh, another, uh, gosh, since I haven't seen you in a week, we have all this catching up to do, right? So, uh, two interesting things. We, we had um, three people in our church pass away last week, and so last week was pretty rough, two on the same day, um, and so I had to do two funerals last week, and, and uh, just very difficult. One of them was a, a young woman, 20 years old, uh, which was very sad, um, but her parents are doing really, really well, and they're really solid folks, and and, uh, you know, I always get very, I, get, I just get very attached to people, and I get very emotional at funerals. I hide it when I'm doing my, you know, my part of it, but uh, they, they mess me up pretty good. And um, this young lady who passed away, I was, I was just kind of, you know, just uh, kind of in that mode before doing a funeral, and it was the biggest funeral I've probably ever done. There was 400 people there probably. It was huge. And, um, and so I went up to her mom, and I said, hey, you know, I wrote this, you know, beautiful thing out for your daughter, and I said, at the end, though, I hammer the gospel pretty hard. I said, is that okay with you? Because I just think it's a missed opportunity if I don't hammer the gospel, especially when it's a predominantly young crowd. And she said, Corey, we believe in everything you say, and we do everything you say. She goes, we've cut our cable, and we love immigrants. And uh, <laughs> So I was like, awesome. There are, there are people listening, you know? So, uh, so she kind of broke the ice, and it, it helped a lot. Um, then the other thing I was going to tell you about, I just got back from Johnson City yesterday, which I had no idea how far of a drive that was. Um, it's way out there, right? And so I uh, went all the way to Johnson City, and I don't know if anyone's spouse is uh, a list person when they travel. I'm not that person. If you are, you're a, you're a weirdo. Uh, but my wife was one of those list people. She has like the yellow notepad and like writes everything out, and it's like underwear times six and, you know, t-shirts and like writes it all out and then checks it all off, and for 20 years now, I've been making fun of her for that, you know? I'm like, hey, list, you know? And I just pack things, and so halfway to Johnson City the other day, I'm doing a wedding, by the way, I realized I forgot a shirt, a tie, and a belt, which are all good things to have at a wedding. Um, you know, I brought my suit, you know, so, but those, those key components, unless you're doing a wedding at like a Chippendales function or something, you need, you need those things, but I uh, wish they wouldn't ask me to do that. Um, so I called my wife, and I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, hey, I forgot this, this, and this, and there was just silence. And I was like, you okay? And she's like, yeah, you know, I'm fine. And that was her way of like, you know, passively, aggressively rubbing it in that I should have wrote the list, right? 
And so I had to go to Old Navy and I found a shirt and I found a belt and then I had to go somewhere else and get a tie. And just another confession, when I was at Old Navy, they had a sale on shorts and I found some khaki ones with little pineapples on it. And I bought them. And uh, before the summer's over, I'm gonna wear those things and you're gonna love it. So uh, (laughs) there we go. All right, we've gotten all that out of the way. Now I can actually get to the word of God. So here here we go. So um, we've been in the book of Ruth. We are in chapter three this week. Ruth is the eighth book of the Bible. So if you're starting at the very beginning, if you have a Bible, the eighth book right after the book of Judges. If you weren't here last week, let me catch you up a little bit. Really, really simple story. During this very chaotic time in culture, there's a lot of civil war, there's a lot of lawlessness and godlessness and just a crazy time. We have this beautiful little story in the Bible about a woman named Ruth, right? Her mother-in-law, Naomi, and then her future husband, a man named Boaz. These three main characters, beautiful story. Now, where we are in the story is Naomi has lost, she's the mother-in-law, she has lost two of her sons and she has lost her husband within a decade. Now, one of her daughters-in-law, right, a woman named Ruth, goes with her back to her hometown, which happens to be Bethlehem. So we have this woman, Ruth, who is a foreigner. She's an outsider. At first, she didn't believe in the same God that we worship, but now at this point in the story, she does. She comes in. She's working the worst job imaginable, the lowest end of the totem pole. But there's this older gentleman named Boaz, who's single, who notices her and is starting to take care of her. And what we're seeing at the end of chapter two, we saw that this horrible season that they're kind of, that they were in, they're coming out of. And we talked about that all of us have seasons, right? It's times that are bad, times that are good, and sometimes God is bringing us out of seasons into other seasons. That's what we talked about. Now this week we're gonna talk about this after we do chapter three. That as Christians, and if you're not a Christian in here, hopefully this will give you a little window to what Christianity looks like, As a Christian, there are times when we are called to be still, be quiet, be patient. There are other times as Christians when we are called to be assertive, to where we are called to make the first step, okay? And we're gonna see both of these a little bit in chapter three of Ruth, okay? So you should have a notes handout in front of you. If you have a smartphone, if you go to Uversion and click on the bottom right, events, and then uh, more and then events, our church will pop up and all the notes and all that jazz are on there so you can follow along that way, very, very convenient and um, should have everything in front of us and ready to go, okay? Short chapter, so it won't take us that long, and you guys can go and enjoy uh, your three-day weekend, okay? Glad you guys are here, by the way. Um, I was just in the back of the room. Last thing, and we'll start, we'll pray. Uh, we have such a unique, wonderful church here, and I just, I, sometimes it's neat to sit in the booth and just see all you guys worshiping in and, and such an eclectic crowd, and, and uh, maybe it's been too long since I've told you. I'm, I'm so honored that I get to do what I do, and I love you guys so much, and... Um, no, you don't, you don't have to clap. It makes me weird, feel weird, right? So uh, um, I, get all, I get all squirmy up here. So um, anyways, but I love you guys. I hope you, you know, kind of like me. So let's pray and let's get into chapter three. Let's see what happens. Thank you. <laughs> Father God, we love you so much. Lord, I wanna thank you for this day. I wanna thank you, God, uh, for all of our military, all of our veterans, for all those who've given their lives, God, for the freedom that we have right this moment to speak your word and to, to be able to worship like this freely. God, we pray that you keep your hand on every single church in our community. God, we pray, Lord, that you grow them and advance them and keep them healthy, Lord, and bless their leadership and their congregations. Bless all of our nonprofits in town, Lord. Bless the churches that we support up in New England, Father God, and keep your hand on those men and women, Lord, who are leading those churches. And Father, I just pray that you open up our eyes today, God. Help us to get something new out of your word and challenge us, Lord. Push us, God. We love you and we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. Chapter 3, I'm going to read a little bit, and I'll do my best to, to break it down, okay? Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, shouldn't I find security for you so you'll be taken care of? Now, isn't Boaz our relative? Haven't you been working with his female servants? This evening, he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfumed oil, and wear your best clothes. Go down to the threshing floor, but don't let the man know you're there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, notice the place where he's lying. Go in and uncover his feet and lie down. Then he will explain to you what you should do. So if you're reading this story, in between chapter 2 and chapter 3, about two months has passed. And what has happened is you have Ruth working out in the field, right? Working her tail off in the field. Then you have Boaz who owns the field. And he's kind of noticing this younger, attractive single woman. She's kind of noticing Boaz, this older gentleman with this great character, right? And he's also single. And they're just kind of exchanging glances, right? Nothing much more than that. Naomi, though, sees what's really going on, right? The mother-in-law sees that Boaz thinks more of Ruth than just a good employee and that he's more than just a provider and protector for her in the employee uh, relationship, that there's some chemistry here. So to kind of get this process moving along a little bit, Naomi rhetorically asks Ruth, she says, hey, shouldn't I find some, some uh, security for you? In our modern-day vernacular, she's essentially saying, isn't it time for you to go out and be social again? Isn't it time for you to go out and meet a man? It's, you know, your husband died a long time ago. It's time to move on. That's essentially what she's saying. Now, Naomi didn't want Ruth just to move on with anybody. She had one person in mind, and that was Boaz. He was the family redeemer. I talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Basically, he was one of the guys that would look out for this family, this extended family. And if someone was in debt, he would get them out of debt. If someone had an injustice done to them, he was basically the protector and the provider of this family. So not only was it legally okay for him and Ruth to get together, it was very logical. He was a good man. She was a good woman. They were both single. Legally, they could get together, get together under Jewish law. Logically, it just kind of worked, right? All these things kind of came together. So Naomi tells Ruth, she says, okay, get cleaned up, put on your best perfume, put on your best clothes. We're not going to wait any longer. Go and impress this man, right? So here's the thing. He was already attracted to her when she was all like sweaty and gross working in the field, right? But she's going to get all cleaned up and made up, and so it's really going to get his attention. So here is Naomi's plan. She kind of has this like four-part strategy. The first part of her strategy is Ruth needed to be as attractive as she could. Now, this is not like a shallow vanity thing. This isn't so she could just be the hottest person in the room or get his attention by being a modest or something. That's not what she was trying to do. Naomi was saying, be the best you can be. Be what God made you to be, right? Present yourself in a dignified manner. So not only would this get Boaz's attention, this would tell the community around Ruth that she was ready to, to just not be a widow, right? But to come out from that and to be social again, to get into a relationship. And so she's kind of coming out and saying, I'm ready to move on, right? That's what she was doing. So first, she was supposed to be attractive. Second, she was to be attentive. She had to listen to what Naomi said and then eventually listen to what Boaz said. So Naomi told Ruth that when Boaz was asleep, go after he's ate and he's drank, right? Uncover his feet, lie down next to his feet, and know, uh, he'll know what to do, 
He'll tell you what to do from there. So Ruth had to be attentive to her destruction, uh, instruction, not destruction, right? Attentive to her instruction and then attentive to the details that she wanted her to do. So what I get from that is this, and I'm kind of big on this. When we are being led by people who are older and wiser than us, we as younger people, I'm 37, but I'm still young, when someone older than me speaks to me, even if I don't agree with everything they say, it would be foolish of me to not listen. It would be foolish of me to not take what they're saying into consideration. And we see that Ruth has enough wisdom to get wisdom from her elder. Not only wisdom from her elder, but it is important to Naomi and it is important to Ruth that what they do, they do with excellence. Now at this church, excellence is a core value of ours. We do things to the best of our ability. Not because we're trying to like, you know, push the Holy Spirit out of the equation or anything like that, but God has told us in his word to do all things with all your might, right? Do things to the best of your ability. I tell my daughters that in school. If your best is a C, make a C. But I believe your best is greater than that. Do the best you can. Be the best you can be, and that honors God, right? So attractive, attentive, she also needs to be assertive. And I'll get to this a little bit more here in the future. Uncovering Boaz's feet, because everyone was asking me, what the heck's up with the feet, right? So she was told to go uncover Boaz's feet and lie down next to them. This did two things. The first was symbolic. The fact that she would lay down at his feet was an act of humility. It was an act of submission. Just like when Jesus, has wa Jesus washed the disciples' feet, it was an act of humility and submission to them, servitude to them, if you will, right? We are called to go out and, and, and wash people's feet, and we are to go out and kind of submit ourselves to the governing bodies. This is kind of what she was doing. The second thing that uncovering his feet would have done is it would have woken him up, but it would have woken him up gradually. So he needed to wake up in the middle of the night because he needed to have this encounter with Ruth. And so in order not to startle him, she uncovered his feet, as the night went on, his feet would get cold, and then he would find Ruth. So Naomi knew that Ruth's intention should be clear because Boaz was not pursuing her, and I'll get to that here in a second. He, didn't, he wouldn't have thought that Ruth was even interested. So the fourth part is very important. Ruth had to be willing, and she had to be available. So when Naomi says, once you do all these things I've told you, then he will explain to you what you should do next, that challenged Ruth not only to trust Naomi's wisdom, but to trust that Boaz was a good man. She had to believe that Naomi was looking about her safety, her purity, and her reputation. If you are young in this room, I'm going to act like a parent here for a second. Your parents try to set certain boundaries and guidelines for you, not because they're just tyrannical jerks, right? They want to control you. They're concerned about your safety, your purity, and your reputation. That's what they're concerned about. And if you are in here, in this room, we talk very candid and adult-like in this church. If you are in this room and you're pursuing a romantic relationship, you have to have boundaries. You need to do whatever it takes to remain sexually pure, and you need to live above reproach. Why? Because the Bible tells us to do these things. That's why. They're of the utmost importance. You can call me legalistic, you can call me judgmental all day long, I don't care. We have rules at this church to where, for instance, if Andy is going to Lowe's, Andy's a woman, by the way, if Andy is going to Lowe's 
and she needs someone to go with her, if it's another man, we make sure that there's a third party in the car with her. That's not because I don't trust Andy. It's not because I don't trust the men here on staff. But if you're driving around and you see me in the car with another woman and it's not my wife, that's not living above reproach. That will cause questions. You can call it legalistic, I call it wise. And so we have these different boundaries, right? Well, you guys are so like affirmative today, thank you. (laughs) So we have all these different parameters and when you're in a relationship, guys, you have to have boundaries or you're gonna make mistakes. So here's what we tend to do as Christians. We blame everything on the devil. If you ever heard the old joke, right? A guy's walking down the street and sees the devil sitting on the curb, crying really hard, and he goes, Satan, what's wrong? And he goes, man, those Christians blame me for everything, right? And so what we do is we have a tendency to think everything's the devil, and not everything's the devil. People come to me all the time, and they've made a poor decision, and they have gotten into a predicament that's not good, and oh, the devil made me sleep with my girlfriend. No, 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 wait a second. The devil didn't make you hang out with her on a leather couch watching the notebook eating, you know, dark chocolate truffles at 3 a.m. You did that, right? <laughs> you put yourself in this situation. <laughs> it's the best I could do on short notice, guys. <laughs> so sometimes because of our poor choices, because of our poor choice of location, Whenever people are like, Corey, I don't know why I got drunk. I'm like, you were at a bar. Like that's what people do at bars. Sometimes our associations, and the devil has nothing to do with that. That's you, that's me. So what we need to do is we need to build proper boundaries so we have a harder time falling into sin. Listen, if we wanna sin, we're gonna sin. If you struggle with porn, you can shut all the laptops, you can throw your you know, cell phone into the ocean, you can still concoct things here in your mind that'll cause you lust. So we have to be disciplined. But if we can remove as many things as possible, it makes it harder for us to fall into sin. Okay, next part. So Ruth said to her, I will do everything you say. She went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law had instructed her to do. After Boaz ate, drank, and was in good spirits, he went to lie down at the end of the pile of barley. Then she went in secretly uncovered his feet, and lay down. At midnight, Boaz was startled, turned over, and there was a woman lying at his feet. So he asked, who are you? It's a proper response. I'm Ruth, your slave. Spread your cloak over me, for you are a family redeemer. Then he said, may the Lord bless you, my daughter. You've shown more kindness now than before, because you have not pursued younger men, whether rich poor. So Ruth submitted to her mother-in-law's plan. She trusted Naomi, so she submitted to this plan. She went down to the threshing floor where they do the grain, right? She went in, and by this time, Boaz, the Bible says, was in good spirits. He had had dinner, he had drank some wine, and he was feeling good. Now, here's where we need to be careful. We are not to assume that Boaz was drunk. Well, why, Corey? Because nowhere in the Old Testament, nowhere in the New Testament does it condone intoxication. Can we drink wine? Can we have a glass of beer during the Super, or a bottle of beer during the Super Bowl? Of course you can. You can have it in a glass too if you want, I guess, but we cannot be intoxicated. You see things in the Old Testament where men got intoxicated and horrible things happened. We see so many accounts in the New Testament where it speaks against intoxication. So it's not that Boaz was drunk. He had a good dinner. He had some good wine. He was full. He was content. 
he was ready to go to bed. That's where he was at, okay? So Ruth finds where Boaz is sleeping, and just like she was told, she uncovers his feet, lays down next to his feet, and in the middle of the night, he gets cold feet, literal cold feet, right? Reaches down to cover up his feet and finds Ruth lying there. And he goes, whoa, who are you? Because it's dark. She says, it's Ruth, I work for you. And then she says, spread your cloak over me. Now, what this means, this was a symbolic thing. She didn't literally want the cloak over her. She was saying, she was pursuing marriage. She's saying, I want to be under your covering. I want you to be my protector. I want you to be my provider. I want to pursue this relationship. That's what she was doing. And so Ruth had already sought protection under God. She was kind of a new convert to the Jewish God. Recently, she had become a believer in the true God, so she already sought protection under God. Now, here's what was happening. This is so important. God was Ruth's protection, but God used Boaz as a vessel to protect Ruth. Here's what we are if you are a husband in this place, husbands and fathers. Ultimately, God protects our family, but the husband and the father is the vessel by which God protects the family. See how big of a deal that is, men? That we are used by God to be the protector and the provider of our family. Here's something else, and I have two little girls, so I'm a little sensitive about this. But Ruth didn't go after the most popular, the guy with the six-pack, the guy that was the best-looking, the guy that was the coolest one. He, she, she opted for someone different than what most people would have gone to first. She opted for a godly, wise man with noble character and good work ethic. You would be shocked, or maybe you wouldn't, how many women, not just young women, women of all ages will come into my office and they'll tell me how awful their relationship is. And I'm like, well, tell me about your husband, your boyfriend, your fiance, whatever the case may be. Well, he's 36 years old. He doesn't want to work. He plays video games all the time. He's $100,000 in student loans, but he doesn't have a job and all this stuff. And I'm like, are you going to start dating a man anytime soon or what? You know, and so, <laughs> and so all the time, these women come to me like men who won't come to church with them. They have no interest in growing in Christ. They have no interest in being a father to their children. And this is not what men are supposed to be. Women, just as a dad who has little ones that are growing up, when you go looking for a man that you're thinking about spending the rest of your life with, find a man who is wise, has godly, noble character, and who knows how to work hard. That's the kind of man you need to find, okay? So, a lot of people also ask me, because biblically men are supposed to pursue women, why was Ruth going after Boaz? Now, it's actually quite simple. Boaz was much older than Ruth. And basically, in the way we would talk about it now, he just thought she was out of his league. He was an older man, she was younger and attractive, and he just didn't think he had a shot, so he never pursued her. The other reason why he never pursued her is there was actually another family redeemer under this kind of umbrella, right? This other family redeemer that would have legally had the first opportunity to pursue Ruth. So he understood the process, understood the process, and he didn't break that. So here's what Ruth did. She removed the first obstacle, right? She's like, hey, I'm into you. You're into me, right? So first obstacle is gone. The second obstacle was this family redeemer, and Boaz is going to take care of that in the next chapter. So guys, guys, I mean both genders here, right? The relationships that we are in are extremely important, both romantic and non-romantic relationships. God is a relational God. We as humans are relational people, right? Made in the image of God. When it comes to romantic relationships, dating and marriage, this is offensive, but it's Bible and it's not my idea, it's, it's God's, right? If you are in this room 
and you call yourself a Christian and you are dating someone, especially if you have the intention of getting married to them, if you're dating someone that is a non-believer, that is not biblical. We are to be equally yoked. And that doesn't mean we're better than anyone else. Doesn't mean we talk bad about anyone else. But if that person is not showing any desire to have a relationship with Christ and grow in Christ, this is a romantic relationship that shouldn't happen. If you know what a yoke is, right? If you have two oxen, right? And you were to put this beam across them, a, a yoke. The idea of that is, is if one person is stronger than the other, if one ox is stronger than the other, instead of them going in a straight line, what happens? It gets off track. It goes a direction that it shouldn't go. That's why we must be equally yoked with someone next to us. Now, here's another interesting thing. Let's, let's not talk about romantic relationships. When it comes to our just human relationships, Christians should have a lot of non-Christian friends. That's what I believe. You should have a lot of friends who are not Christians. My wife and I have tons of friends that are not Christians, some that are hyper-liberal, some that are hyper-conservative, all kinds of different people around us. They're welcome in our home. We hang out with them. We go eat dinner. Lots of friends that aren't Christians. With those non-Christian relationships, though, we have boundaries. Some of our non-Christian friends do things and go to places that we're not going to go and do things that we're not going to do. That's okay. We can still be friends with them, but we have to have boundaries. For our Christian friends, we must have accountability. What that means is if you're in this room, Zach that's playing drums, for instance, today, he and I like old cars and we hang out periodically. He and I, if he's my friend and brother in Christ, when he does something wrong, I'm expected to call him to the carpet. And when I do something wrong, he's expected to call me to the carpet. That's how it works, right? So we have boundaries with non-believers and accountability with believers and relationships. Last part. Now, don't be afraid, my daughter. I will do for you whatever you say, since all the people in my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Yes, it is true that I'm a family redeemer, but there is a redeemer closer than I am. Stay here tonight, and in the morning, if he wants to redeem you, that's good. Let him redeem you. But if he doesn't want to redeem you, as the Lord lives, I will. Now lie down until morning. So she lay down at his feet until morning, but got up while it was still dark. Then Boaz said, don't let it be known that a woman came to the threshing floor. And he told Ruth, bring the shawl you're wearing and hold it out. Then she held it out. He shoveled six measures of barley into her shawl and she went into the town. She went to her mother-in-law, Naomi, who asked her, how did it go, my daughter? Then Ruth told her everything the man had done for her. She said, he gave me six measures of barley because he said, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Naomi said, my daughter, wait until you find out how things go, for he won't rest until, until he resolves this today. Okay, so it's midnight. The stars are out. Boaz had just drank some wine. You have these two people who are attracted to each other. Miles Davis is on the turntable. Again, the notebook is on... Netflix, all of the conditions are perfect for something to go morally wrong, okay? All the conditions are perfect for purity to be compromised. Not only were all the conditions perfect for them to do something wrong, they lived in a culture where casual sex was celebrated. Sound familiar? We have apps like Tinder and Yellow where you can just swipe right and hook up with someone instantly, right? So they were in this culture, right, that said that sex was just okay. It was celebrated outside of marriage. 
in the middle of this culture that celebrated casual sex, we see a, a couple that did not let culture or circumstances impede their morality. Can one hold on to their purity? Yes. Yes, they can. Yes, they can. They also lived above reproach. So both Boaz and Ruth had the reputation of being noble, right? People knew them in the town and knew that they were good, God-fearing people. Because it would have been dangerous for a woman to travel alone. You're probably wondering why did they, they stay the night with each other? Well, it would have been extremely dangerous for Ruth to go back alone. She could have been raped. She could have been killed. Very dangerous times that they lived in. So he said, hey, stay here tonight. Not for any improper reasons. You sleep over there. I'm going to sleep over here. And first thing in the morning, you got to go, right? So with all these temptations, like I said earlier, they had to have parameters. They had to have walls to eliminate the opportunity for them to fall into sin. So they start talking about this whole family redeemer thing. They basically start talking about marriage. And there was another family redeemer that had a right to, to marry Ruth or pursue Ruth before Boaz. And Boaz said, if he pursues you, I'm gonna let him, right? That's fine, I'm gonna honor the process. And what that shows is this, it shows that Boaz trusts the Lord to work it out. He's not gonna break the law, he's not gonna take matters necessarily into his own hand, he's going to allow God to lead the situation. And we'll see in chapter four kind of how this plays out, but he trusts God to make sure that it happens the way it should. So to avoid anyone misconstruing why Ruth was there with Boaz overnight, he says, hey, go get your shawl. I'm gonna shovel a bunch of barley into it and you take it home to your family, right? Take it home to Naomi. Uh, to Naomi. So this would have served two things. One, it would have been a, a kind of a cover for her, right? So if anyone asks why you're out so early in the morning, well, I was just getting grain from Boaz and that was true. And then the other thing was, is he was starting to provide for Naomi as well. Not just Ruth being protected, but also her mother-in-law. So Boaz was doing his best to protect Ruth physically, not letting her go back alone at night. And then he also wanted to protect her reputation. He cared about that as well. So Ruth gets home, right? Naomi probably hasn't slept much. She's waiting by the door. She says, how did it go? How did it go? Tell me about it. So Ruth starts to tell her about all the things that Boaz had done, all the nice things. And they probably stayed up late talking and having conversation. And she told her all that. And then after that, Ruth says, look, and he gave us enough food to last for us for a while. And so for Naomi... Naomi's days after losing her husband and her two sons, after going through a decade of just really hard times, Naomi was coming out of that season. There's a new season of life that's happening. She's smiling. She's happy. Her daughter-in-law is, is giddy and ecstatic about this great man that there's this interest now. And so they are on cloud nine and things are changing. God is providing. God is taking care of them. And so Naomi knew that Boaz was a good man. Look at what she says about him. After Ruth says all this stuff, he said this and this. She said, just wait, just wait. By the end of today, Boaz is gonna make it right. Boaz is gonna take care of you. Listen, men, the yellow part, this is how we wanna be known. She knew that Boaz was a man of his word, honorable, hardworking, and would do things ethically using godly wisdom. That is what we need to be as men. That paragraph right there exactly what we need to be. So here's the thing. What I get from this chapter, one of the things, there's three things. The first one is this, is that details matter. So when you're reading the Bible, right, this, this huge book about the story of God redeeming humanity, right, this huge story, 
In the middle of this book, or actually towards the beginning, but just kind of thrown into this Bible, there's this four chapters about this woman named Ruth. It almost seems out of place. We just got done reading the book of Judges, which is just absolutely insane if you've never read it. Crazy stuff happening. And then you get into this beautiful love story. It seems insignificant in the whole scope of humanity, right? Spoiler alert, though, what we see is Jesus Christ comes from this bloodline eventually. So what we see is, though it seems insignificant, this romance going on between this couple, God cares about the little things. In a world of people, God sees us. There's 8 billion people on planet Earth, and we think we're insignificant, but God knows every hair on our head, every thought that goes through our mind. He is laser-focused on every single one of you in this room. Do details matter to God? Of course they matter to God. They're huge to God. And Boaz and Naomi and Ruth, they trusted God. They were motivated by their love for God and they were motivated by their love for each other. Does God care about details? Absolutely, he cares about details. The other thing I get from this chapter is this. As believers in the true God, there are times in our relationship with God to where we are to shut up. We are to be still. We are to be quiet. I love what Psalms 46.10 says. It says, stop your fighting and know that I'm God. Because what we tend to do, I won't say you, what I tend to do is I want to take it into my own hands. God, I know you're sovereign and all that stuff, but like, I'm going to handle this one. And we tend to take it upon ourselves, write together our own plan, put our own agenda together and think that we know best. Guys, I'm going to step on our toes for a second. Most Christians... A lot of us in this room, if you really boil it down, we don't trust God nearly as much as we say we do. I trust God with everything. God, brace yourself. Then why don't you tithe? You obviously don't trust him with your finances. You trust your bank. You trust your financial planner. You trust your own budgeting, but you don't trust the Lord, right? You don't trust that the God will bless you. It says in Malachi 3, man, test me in this and I'll bless you. Just be faithful. God will take care of you financially. God, God knows. Jesus turned around and looked at his disciples one time in Matthew, and he says, my father knows every time a sparrow hits the ground and dies, how much more valuable do you think you guys are than birds? That's what Jesus said to his disciples. And we're worried about our money all the time. We're worried about our family. We're worried about our work environment. We're worried about our contentment. We don't look to the Lord to fulfill it. Guys, I am guilty. We don't look to the Lord to fulfill us. We think it's something else. If I fix up this old car, if I have enough money in the bank to feel secure, if I could just live in that house, right? We think that's where the contentment will come. I remember when I started this church, I'm like, man, when I hit 1,000 people, I'll be content. I'll be settled, right? Then you hit 2,000, you're like, God, I'm still waiting for that contentment, you know, that fulfillment from this. But that's not what it's about, right? It's not about this. It's about do I find my joy straight from him? Do we trust God with our insecurities? Let me ask you this. Oh, gosh, I'm just going to offend everybody, right? Here's what Jesus happens to be for most Christians. Jesus is our Hail Mary last-ditch effort. I've tried drugs. I've tried pharmaceuticals. I've tried counseling. I've tried changing my diet. I've tried gossiping about these people. I've tried doing this. I've tried all these other things. I think I'll pray about it now. Well, I'm glad we finally got to Jesus being christ followers. Now, I'm not saying that to be mean, guys. 
But typically when I get to see a lot of you, it's like your last thing, right? You're one like step away from going over the edge and you've tried everything else and now Jesus is finally what you're gonna try now. And that's because if we're just being honest with ourselves, we don't trust him as much as we say we do. I don't. You ever prayed and just confessed your faults to him? I know he knows everything. You ever verbally to where you can hear it? And if you're, if you're a believer in here, there's a lot of liberation in this. When you're praying and you say, God, I'm materialistic. Let that go and trust that God will start to heal you if we will just confess it, if we will just lay it over to him. God, I struggle with lust. God, I'm greedy. God, I'm competitive. God, I'm lazier. God, I'm a workaholic or whatever the case may be. You ever handed, you ever trusted God with your insecurity? Laid it down and saw what he did with it? Takes a lot of trust. So some of us, quite frankly, guys, we're so busy doing this and we're a culture that hates to be by ourselves. And even when we're by ourselves, we're on our phone, right? You ever go to Starbucks and watch people converse with each other? Or they'll put it down for a while and when someone goes to the bathroom, we're a people that we cannot sit in silence because we're terrified of it. We're terrified of being still and just knowing that God's in control. So that's one side of the coin, right? There are times when we need to be quiet. We need to sit still. We need to slow down. The other side of the coin is there's some of us that need to get up and move. A lot of us use God's sovereignty and we use God's grace and we just use God in general to be passive in our faith or to be downright lazy. Again, so many people come to me and they're just like, man, I can't pay rent this month. And I'm like, what are you going to do? And I'm just like, I'm just trusting God. And I'm like, are you working? No, I'm just trusting God. (laughs) Well, God gave you a brain and arms and legs and an able body to where you can go to a place and you put in an hour's worth of work and they have a wage set aside for that hour and that accumulates and you get a piece of paper and you take that to your landlord and you get to stay in a place for another month. And for 9,000 years, humanity has been working. And when people are just like, I'm just trusting God. You know, God cleared that whole thing up when it says in the New Testament that if a man doesn't want to work, he shouldn't be allowed to eat. And so the fact the fact that some people use God as an excuse to not do anything. You wouldn't believe how many pastors come from all over the country to this church and they're kind of curious, like, hey, tell us about the growth. You know, how are you doing this? And they think it's the building that grew us, right? They're just like, man, if we just get into a building like this, we'll grow. And and, uh, it's funny, we were growing long before we were in this building, but people ask, what are you you doing? What are you doing? I was like, well, 20% of our budget is set aside to feed the homeless, to help people in jail, to do foreign missions, to do domestic missions. 20% of our budget, that's a big deal to us. they'll, they'll, They'll say, most pastors will look at me and they'll say, well, we'll pray about that. And I'm like, well, you're wasting time because Jesus has already told you to do it. When Jesus said, when I was poor, you fed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was in jail, you visited me. He was talking about his followers, the sheep. So whenever Christians are like... I'll pray about keeping myself sexually pure. You don't have to pray about that. God said, don't do it, right? Well, I'll pray about coming to church more often. You don't have to. In Hebrews, it said, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Well, I'll pray about working on my marriage. You don't have to pray about that either. God already instructed us. But again, it goes back to this. 
We're so distracted, and as Christians, we are so biblically ignorant that we don't know that God has already told us what to do most of the time. But we're doing this, right? We're doing this. We're a people who are busy but not accomplishing much. That's what we are. And so there is a time for us to be still and there is a time for us to move forward, but we are powerless to move past our troubles when we are not going to the Word of God, right? We are powerless to move past it. So here's the thing, guys. I don't know where you are personally. I don't know. You may be in a time of your life where you need to slow down a little bit. A time in your life when you need to find a quiet place, maybe today, to where you need to have that prayer closet, where you need to maybe take a drive out in the country. I don't know if anyone else does that besides me. I have my best conversations with God when I'm driving in my old car, like on the outskirts of town, right? Turn the radio off, be silent and just drive, right? And just talk to him. Some of us need to be still. Some of us need to stop fighting God's fight and let him do it, right? Know that he's God. Others of you, and I'm not trying to make fun of you or be mean. There are some of you in this room to where you know what is right. Not only do you know what is right, you know what God has specifically asked you to do. And for some reason, you've been making excuses. For some reason, you have put your marriage on the back burner or your children on the back burner, or maybe it's even something as big as ministry that God has called you to do on the back burner, making these excuses. Ah, God's got it. Let me tell you something. If our city is going to change, God is not going to materialize himself again, come down and win Murfreesboro. You know who he commissioned to do that to? You know what the last instruction in the, in the gospel of Matthew is? It's a verb. He says, you go. What does the Bible say? That when we take a step towards Christ, what does it say? That when we take a step towards him, that he takes a step towards us, right? What does it say? That when we're knocking on the door, that we have to answer. There are times when God is looking at his church, his people, and we're looking up saying, God, culture sucks, right? God, culture is so godless. My kids are running amok. My marriage is falling apart. And we're saying, what are you doing? And I feel like God's looking back down saying, you're the salt, you're the light, you're commissioned to change your city. You're commissioned to change your family. Do we need the Holy Spirit? Of course we do. But we are the hands and feet of the Lord. That's what we are called to do. Matthew 5, he said, you're the salt. You're the light. You're what's supposed to go out and change the environment around you. Some of us need to get off the bench and go to work. I love you guys. And you're a great church. This is a, a very unique group of people. But I want to tell you, some of you need to put your priority. I'm one of them. We need to put our priorities in line and we need to find some personal time with just us in Christ and listening, listening to him. Others of you need to stop using grace and God's sovereignty as an excuse not to do things. Some of us know what's right and wrong and we just need to go do those things. I don't know where you fall. Maybe some, both of those. But today we have communion all the way around us, guys. We do it every single week. Communion all the way around us. That represents Jesus Christ that died for our sins. Filled us with his Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1 says that we are sealed with his Holy Spirit when we become believers. We can take this communion. We can remember that God is with us. 
that he still speaks to us, that he still empowers us to go out and make a change in the world around us. There'll be people up here at the front if you need prayer for anything. Please, I wanna beg you, listen, and most of you have the day off tomorrow, so we got time, right? Take some time, spend a couple of moments just getting your communion and praying and talking to God. If you are in here and you are not a Christian, I just wanna tell you, I'm really glad you're here and I hope something today just sparked an interest in you. I hope that you have a desire just to keep looking for the truth and if you keep looking for the truth, you're gonna find Christ. Just keep digging, just keep looking, keep asking questions, okay? Let me pray for you. Father, Lord, we love you. God, you're so good. Father, I pray that you keep your hand on everyone in this room. I pray, God, that you bless us and keep us safe. Lord, if there's anyone in this room that does not believe or maybe they're struggling with their faith, I pray, God, that you just encourage them to just keep pushing forward and to keep looking for the truth. Everyone in here, God, who may be a workaholic or maybe they're busy just for busyness's sake, I pray, God, that they can slow down, that they can listen to you, that they can eliminate the distractions. God, if there are people in here who've maybe been lackadaisical or apathetic in their faith, I pray, God, that you get them off the sidelines and get them back into the game, Lord. Let them start moving forward, Lord. Let them to be responsive. God, we know that every step we take towards you, you honor it with a step back, God. So, Lord, please encourage us, strengthen us, walk with us, Lord. We love you, we thank you, we praise you, and it's in your name that we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you guys to death. I hope you have a great three-day weekend.